So this is where I get to let go of the mic and give it up to an awesome Christian brother. You are going to be so blessed. So if you did bring something to take notes with and write something down, write it down because this will definitely be written on your heart when you walk out these doors. Got the opportunity to sit in second service and listen to, to Brady's sermon. It's a real thing. God's spoken and delivered. You're awesome, man. God is building you in amazing ways. Awesome, brother. So happy Mother's Day. This is Mr. Brady Webster. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. This thing on? Yeah. All right. Now y'all have to listen to me for three hours. <clears throat> so it is Mother's Day. So before we get to the message, though, the Lord, just like the video said, the Lord does speak out of the needs of his people. So I know through people that I work with, through people I interact with, there's problems in the job market. There's economic issues going on right now. So before we get into our message, I'd like to share with you a video. Just give me one second. Thank sure. you. Sorry. Uh-huh. Hey. Hey. Two minutes. Thank you. Hi. Good afternoon. Sorry about hey, that. Hey, Hi, nice Hi. to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. Have you ever done one of these interviews over the camera before? No. Well, let me tell you a little bit about the job to get started with. It's not just um, a job, it's sort of probably the most important job. Uh, the title that we have going right now is Director of Operations, but it's really kind of so much more than that. Responsibilities and requirements are, are really quite extensive. Uh, first category for the requirements would be mobility. This job requires that you must be able to work standing up most or really all of the time, uh, constantly on your feet, constantly bending over, constantly exerting yourself, a high level of stamina. Uh, uh, okay. That's a lot. For how many, like, for how many hours? Uh, 135 hours to unlimited hours a week. It's basically 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I'm sure you'll have a chance from time to time to maybe just sit down here and there, yeah? Uh, you mean like a break? Yeah. Uh, no, there are no breaks available. Is, is that even legal? Oh yeah, of course, yeah. Okay, yeah. so like no lunch? You can or... have lunch, but only when the associate is done eating their lunch. Uh. I think that's a little intense. No, no not possible. That's crazy. Now this position requires excellent negotiation and interpersonal skill. We're really looking for someone that might have a degree in uh, medicine, in finance, and the culinary arts. You must be able to wear several hats. Associate needs constant attention. Sometimes they have to stay up with an associate throughout the night. Being able to work in a chaotic environment, if you, if you had a life, we'd ask you to sort of give that life up. No vacations. In fact, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, and holidays, the workload is gonna go up, and we demand that. With, with a happy disposition. Uh, that's almost cruel. <laughs> that's almost a, a very, very sick, twisted joke. But when there's time to sleep, or... Oh, no time to sleep. Yeah, all-encompassing, all almost. That's exactly right. 365 days a year? Yes. No, that's, that's inhumane. That's, that's very insane. The meaningful connections that you make and the, the feeling that you get from really helping your associate are immeasurable. 
Also, let's cover the salary. The position is going to pay absolutely nothing. Excuse me? No. Nobody's doing it for free. Yeah, pro bono. <laughs> Completely for free. No. What if I told you there's someone that actually currently uh, holds this position right now? Billions of people, actually. Who? Moms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Moms. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and they meet every requirement, oh, don't wow. they? Oh my god. Moms are the best. Yeah, there's no pain. They're 24 hours. They're always there. Now I'm thinking about my mom. Yeah, and what are you thinking about her? I'm thinking about all those nights and everything. Thank you so much for everything you do. I know it doesn't seem like I appreciate all of it, but I definitely do. So, Mom, I want to say thank you for everything that you've done. I love you very much. You've been there through thick and thin. My mom is just awesome. She's awesome. So now that we've addressed the economic situation in the country, I'll, to all of our COOs, CEOs, booger wipers, <laughs> Uber drivers, meal makers, moms, thank you very much. As an associate, I can say from the bottom of my heart, we love you, and this service is different. I was told I would be interrupted, and you're sitting there, so I know that so many people prayed for my wife to come into my life. And I prayed for her years ago, and she's here, but who knows that when the Lord answers a prayer, he over-answers it and really blesses your socks off. And a mom, I didn't have the greatest mom in the world, but wow, the hand of the Lord in my life is amazing, and I'm, I'm looking at it. <laughs> I love you. Thank you. So the title of the message is Championship Mothering. So it's a verb, right? I drove to Abilene on Friday, just a little jaunt up the road to Abilene, right? It's a long way. Uh, I drove by a church marquee and it said something on it that is highly applicable to this message I want to deliver to you guys today. It said, biology is the least factor that determines a mother. So many women can bear children, but mothers are special. And I know that we're all created in God's image, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but, and I'm not trying to create a new doctrine here or any stretch of the imagination, but I just think maybe there's a little more spirit sewn into a mother's heart. Championship mothering. So my wife's middle name is Miriam. My last name is Webster. So Miriam Webster, I get to create definitions for words as I see fit. I've done that. Championship mothering, loving others with excellence, especially those you're responsible for with passionate consistency. So recently, Pastor has talked to us about consistency. Consistency is a form of holiness. Do you know that God never changes? He is always the same. His immutable qualities don't change. Consistency is a form of holiness. Honoring God through intentionally discipling your child by sowing into their spirit God's word. So mothers have so many characteristics 
that we don't have the time to cover all of them or share stories about, well, my mom, because that could go on for days, right? What I do want to share with you is out of God's word, there are three specific characteristics, and you can find them in 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Faith, hope, and love. So I introduce you, you're probably already familiar with the three women we're going to talk about, but they exhibit these characteristics in a championship way where we can learn from the Bible. But I will tell you this, as I was preparing the message, these books are so rich and real. They start to read you and things start to jump off the page. I would encourage you to read Ruth, to read Samuel, to read the Gospels, because I'm only going to cover stuff at a surface level because we don't have any more than three hours this morning. So the first one, faith, okay? We're going to talk about Naomi. Naomi is in the book of Ruth. So faith, Hebrews 11 tells us, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen, okay? Let's keep that in mind because we have a definition for what faith is as we move forward. So I'll give you the backstory. So Naomi and her husband and their two sons, at the beginning of the story, part of the character development, they have to leave Israel to go to the other side of the Dead Sea to a land called Moab, okay? So there's a famine in the land, and you could read that and you can just go right past it into the rest of the story. But if you think about it, you can tie to it because where they left, they were Jews in Israel, not just land, but this was the land promised through Abraham. Remember? This is the promised land flowing with milk and honey. That's where they are. And because there's a famine in the land, they have to leave. So there's a sadness associated with that. All their friends, all their family, this is the land God promised, and now we're leaving. They get to Moab. Moab is not an Israel-friendly country. Remember when they crossed the Jordan with Joshua, there were 31 hostile nations. You can look at Israel today and see that, well, not much has changed. <laughs> right? We see it in the news all the time. But Moab, if you remember the story of Balaam and Balak, does anybody remember that story? So Balaam is the guy who was hired by Balak to curse the Israeli people. Balaam's the guy whose donkey talked to him. Balak was the king of Moab. So they didn't like Israel is the point I'm trying to make. So they get there. In the very first chapter of Ruth, her husband dies. So not only has she had to leave her homeland, she's in this new place that's not friendly territory, and she loses her husband. And I need you to tie into the pain. I need you to tie into what she's experiencing right now. I mean, Tammy, what if Robert is gone? You're a boy, Mom. You have four of them. We couldn't imagine. We'd lose a prayer warrior and a soldier in Christ, but you, your heart would crack in two. There, just think about that. That is psychological, emotional, spiritual trauma. But as a championship mom, she's still got two boys, and now they're wives. She's got to sew into 
There's a mission. She knows her God and she knows the strength of him, right? Right after her husband dies, we're told her sons die. Both of her sons die. Now this is in the beginning of the story. This is just character development. This is just introducing you to the climate of this story. Has to leave her homeland, husband gone, two sons gone. The weight of sorrow in her heart is overbearing, right? It's, it's more than you could handle. So here's where we pick up the story. The girls, they've lost their husbands. They come to their mom, Naomi, and they're sad and they're weeping and they're saying, we want to go with you. Naomi's gotten word, the famine's left, the Lord has brought rain to Israel, she's gonna return home. And basically what she's saying in the story is, I'm leaving and there's nothing I have worth value to give you. In that day and age, a woman's worth was highly tied to her children. That was her crown jewel, was her children. That was one of the primary purposes of a woman in that day and time. She lost her sons, she lost her husband, and oh, by the way, now she has no promise of inheritance and future for the girls who aren't biologically hers. So, in a sense, she's lost everything. So her girls are listening to her and she's rebuking them. No, return to your mom, return to your dad, return to what's familiar, return to your little g-gods, return to your little g-gods because they're in a pagan land. Return to all that because the hand of the Lord is against me. He's dealt unfavorably with me and I don't want you to get any of this on you. Just go, I'm going home. Three times she does that the girls, then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother, but Ruth clung to her. So Orpah and Ruth were the daughters. So for those of you who have been here a while, you might laugh to know that Orpah means gazelle. (laughs) A couple years back, we had lions attacking gazelles on Mother's Day, never forget it. Ruth clung to her. Now clung, is the, now, clung is the same word as cleave in Genesis 2.24. It's an important word and it has more context. It has more context because it means closely pursued, deeply attracted, to fasten its grip, to follow closely, to hold fast, join together, and remain steadfast. Naomi hears this, and she still, I don't have anything to give. Can I give you? I lost everything. What are you talking about? After Ruth clings to her, this is Ruth's response to the rebuke to go away, I have nothing for you. But Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you will go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God my God, where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. Folks, we got a picture of salvation that just happened, right? Orpah returned home to all those other things, but also her God, but not Ruth. Why is the question? As I read this, 
That's what I'm wondering. Why Naomi's faith in Jehovah, her Savior God, right? So Ruth saw that. Think about it. Ruth's heart was broken. She lost her husband. She's lost the promise and inheritance of her future. But she sees her mom in Naomi that has gone through the same thing. So Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, has has a quote that summarizes my point really well. It is, the Lord gets his best soldiers out of the highlands of affliction. Do you know that sometimes your deepest hurt and pain in your life, when you allow Jesus to start working and healing in that, can be your loudest testimony for healing for others? Do you know that walking in faith and obedience, even in the dark times, other people are paying attention? And Ruth clung to her mother as she's going home because she saw the weight and the substance of that faith. She knew it was different and she knew where it came from. It came from her gods, your God will be my God. And maybe she didn't understand and maybe she didn't quite grasp it, but she knew something was different and she wasn't gonna let her mother go without her. Fast forward the story. So they get back and Ruth just so happens to be in Boaz's field. He takes notice. Now, Boaz in the Bible, I'm not going to cover him. It's not about him, but he's known as the kinsman redeemer. So in the law, you could have a kinsman redeem all that was lost. So it, it just so happens that Ruth is taking care of her mom by feeding her in Boaz's field. He takes notice and starts to provide care. And he's got the opportunity to redeem the loss of Naomi's husband, the loss of Naomi's sons, in all their land, and all their inheritance. So he does that. Now listen to this. Boaz marries Ruth, okay? Boaz and Ruth have a son. His name is Obed. Obed grows up, he has a son, right? It's a very exciting part of the story I can see in your faces. Jesse has sons, and his youngest is named King David. So the redemption... In their life, the hand of the Lord did not come against them. He was orchestrating all of it through this tapestry of grace to graft them into the line of Christ, the kingly lineage of Christ. Can I get an amen? Amen. (laughs) The next person we're going to talk about is Hannah. Hannah, the prayer warrior, had hope expressed through prayer. I will give you the backstory on Hannah. So she was sorrowful, sorrowful for most of the uh, opening of what's going on in her life. Uh, so she had a husband, Elkanah, and in the Jewish law, they had a rule where after 10 years, if your wife did not bear you children, you could take another wife. He did that, and he had another wife named Panina. Panina gave him children. So remember, The crown jewel of a mother at the time, even this time, is her children. That's an expression of love to her husband. The Bible tells us children are a heritage from the Lord. And a woman's value was tied to her family that she produced. So Hannah had her womb closed by the Lord. It opens up and it tells us that. 
the Lord closed Hannah's womb. She couldn't do the one thing she wanted to do to be part of the, the, the women's social network, so to speak. And the Bible narrative tells us this was a faithful family. Elkanah is her husband, and he went to the temple, and he did what Jewish men do, as was customary in the time. But when he did that, to offer sacrifices and praise, he would bring his family. Well, his family was both wives and her kids. At the temple, Bible tells us that Penina would, would pepper Hannah. She would, you know, pepper her and, and poke fun at the fact that she didn't have kids. Her most sensitive area, that was the desire of her heart. We have nothing, keep in mind, we have nothing in 1 Samuel that tells us that Hannah chose to take that offense and speak ill of Penina or get frustrated with Elkanah or get mad at God. We don't have anything in there. So the only account we can put together is she was faithful and she walked with grace. Okay, so they're at the temple and this is in Shiloh. So they finish eating and, and Hannah wanders off to go pray in front of the temple. This is where we pick it up. She was in bitterness of soul. She prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. That's a word that speaks supplication to my mind. She's asking of the Lord because she has this godly sorrow. But do you know that sometimes things that are bad that you perceive to be bad are actually working for your good? She made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. So let me unpack a part of that a little bit. O Lord of hosts. This is the first time Lord of hosts is used in the Bible. And you might just say, okay, yes, God has a lot of names, but all those names have specific meanings. And here's the name she chose to use in praying to God. When you see host in the Bible, it's a, it's a militaristic term. Lord of hosts is typically saying, commander in chief of the angel armies, I need your services. The millions of angels, the Lord is in charge of, Lord of hosts is who she petitioned. She's at, the, she's at the door of the temple praying. Eli is the high priest in Shiloh. And he's there. And he thinks that she's drunk. You heard me say drunk in church. This is not a reason to do anything silly. I'm telling the story. Eli thinks she's drunk. Why? Because she was a bitterness of soul. She wasn't audibly praying. Her lips were moving, but she was praying from the core of her heart. This was a heart cry prayer. This was an Abba Father prayer. This was supplication in anguish. The point I'm, I'm trying to make is, is really well expressed in this video. I'd like you to watch it. No, he's not. No, he's not. <laughs> we got you. Hey, boys, get off the ice. Not safe. You're not going anywhere. Stop. Fourteen-year-old male, unresponsive and pulseless. No one clear. No pulse. There's nothing more we can do. Joyce Smith. Yes. 
We're doing everything we can for your son, but John isn't responding. He's gone. Send your Holy Spirit to save my son! That is a picture of a mother in anguish praying in supplication. That's a recent movie, so spoiler alert, Jesus wins. <laughs> but you see, I can paint the picture for you. He's dead. She walks in, and the doctors give her warning. There's nothing we can do. Won't you go have time to say goodbye to your son? So she walks in, and his feet are frozen. And she sees him lying there on the table, lifeless. And just like Hannah with a closed womb, Joyce Smith goes to the only place that could open the womb or that could breathe life into those dead lungs. And God is faithful because that was the cry of her heart. She didn't care if anybody was listening. She didn't care what people thought. Hannah was accused of being drunk. She could have clapped back and said something mean, but she didn't. She was honorable and graceful. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel because I have asked of him from the Lord. And this is where she's back with Eli. So what's happened here is she's had the boy, right? And she's weaned him. So three to five years, she spent all that time with Samuel, but she's doing what she committed to do. She's faithfully giving him back to God at the temple in Shiloh. And by the way, she brings him back to be raised by Eli. So Eli is the priest. She brings him to the temple in Shiloh, but guess what else is there? The Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat. He's one, two rooms away from God in those times. So she not only figuratively gives him back to God, she places him in God's house to be raised. She sees Eli and she says, oh my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord. For this child, I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition which I asked of him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord, and as long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord, so they worship the Lord there. And then we have uh, the only noted reference to Hannah's continuation of her care of Samuel is his little robe, which I think is extremely cute, the picture I get in my head. So moreover, his mother used to make him a little robe and bring it to him year by year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. But there's more there. They're still faithful. They're still coming year after year. And do you think that Hannah stopped praying for her son? Do you think she prayed for her son once a year? Absolutely not. Hannah got a direct answer from God that works through her. She was wrecking shop in the spiritual for Samuel. She was praying for him. How do I know that? Well, I'll tell you this. So kids tend to pick up characteristics from their moms. And that was a direct conversation between Hannah and God. And Samuel, fast forward a little bit, he is arguably one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament and ultimately anoints King David. You see the relationship in the stories I've just told. 
We have a comment here by Dr. James E. Smith about the robe. The robe in 1 Samuel 2.19 was an outer garment of wool woven throughout without seam with holes for the head and arms and reaching nearly to the ground. Hold on to that. The next characteristic we want to cover is love and love as expressed through Mary, the mother of Jesus. So we start in Luke. The Annunciation is in Luke 1. So we have Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, comes and announces to Mary. She's an early teen. Rejoice, highly favored one, for the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. He says rejoice, but my daughter is 16, and I'm not 100% sure how she would react, but it probably wouldn't look like rejoicing if Gabriel came to her room. And I would probably pray like, hey, Gabriel, tell her to clean the room while you're in there. (laughs) Next, Gabriel says, do not be afraid. Fear is an appropriate response in the Bible to an angelic or holy presence. For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. So on the eighth day, Jesus is taken to the temple to be circumcised as was custom. And we have, we're introduced to a man named Simeon. So Simeon is an older man and he spends his time worshiping and praying at the temple. So enter King Jesus as an eight day old baby and Simeon is aware. He's aware something's different in the atmosphere and he recognizes what's happening. Story's not about him. Story is about All these things are happening in Mary's life, right? And they're pointing to something. They're all pointing to something in her life. At the same time, concurrently, she's responsible for loving her baby boy. He's just a baby. He's new. And a mom bonds with a baby, probably arguably different than a dad, but really quick. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, sorry, that means mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So all these things are echoing to something that's happening. Mary was a Jew. Mary had been exposed to the the writings of the prophets. She's having to store up All these little things that are happening with her son, Yeshua, right? He's throwing up. She's cleaning it. She's holding him. She's having to put him to bed, rock him to sleep. He's waking up at night. All all these things are happening, fully God and fully man. She has to love him in light of the fact that all roads lead to the cross, all roads, and everything that happens in his life keeps reminding her There's something in the future. Okay, so a little older. Jesus is 12 now. 
So Jesus is 12, and they go to the temple for the, fa- the uh, feast of the Passover. So they're celebrating the Passover, and it's not just Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. It's their family, so they probably went as a big group. Well, they finish what they're doing, and they leave. They leave. They get a day away from the temple where they were doing, uh, participating in the celebration. A day. I don't know what you drive, but depending on what vehicle that is, that's two to four gas tanks. That's a lot. And they're Pete and Jake in it in the Middle East. Probably not fun. They get that far away and realize Jesus isn't with us. I don't know about you, and again, I'm not trying to create new doctrine, but that might be a sin. (laughs) They lost him. You're supposed to keep your eyes on Jesus, otherwise the waves come and you sink, right? Um, So they realize he's gone, so they go to the place they knew he might be, so they head back to the temple, Pete and Jake get back. So they find him three days later, and he's in the temple. Now my son's 12, and I have two or three witnesses that can testify that he can't do a lot of things up to and including cleaning his room, combing his hair, those kind of things. Well, Jesus is 12 and he's blowing the minds of some of the brightest theological men of the day. In the temple, he's teaching and preaching, right? So they're astonished. But here's the scene. Mary walks in, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And that is not the way that reads. It's more like, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. Just say something, right? And I'm not trying to correct the Bible, but I'm pretty sure after anxiously, there should be at least one exclamation point, at least one. But here's his response. And he said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Keep in mind the scene. Joseph is standing right there. So it's another indicator that something is coming. Something is great. And something is going to be very painful for Mary. Everything is reminding her of that. And the point I'm trying to make with Mary's life, with how she had to love this baby boy, And how she had to store up these memories for the sword that would pierce her soul is, is, I can't say it better than this video can show it.
just as hard for me to watch that as it is for you. I feel all of it. But in Mary's life, all roads were leading to the cross. And she had to love him anyway. And you have a picture there that showed Jesus reflecting that love. He could have not gotten up, but he saw his mom and he got up. You know why? Because he loved her too much to not go through with bearing you're in my sin because he had to redeem her too. So Mary is with him his whole life and she's a, with him at the beginning clearly, but the Bible narrative tells us she's with him at the end too. At the cross, the soldiers when they had crucified Jesus took his garments and made four parts to each soldier apart and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam woven from the top in one piece. This is extra biblical, but is it possible that a mother's love is to physically clothe her son? And that's how she expresses her heart, just like Hannah did for Samuel year after year after year. Maybe the very next thing that happens at the cross is Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, John, Standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And to the disciple, Behold your mother. Now, in doing that, he just redeemed his mom. The crown jewel of a mother in those days is her children. He took care of her future, but he also did something greater. He redeemed her soul and separating that connection. Yeah, he's her son, but he is so much more. And this tapestry of grace we have as I'm reading through these books, God's word is, is so rich and it speaks so loudly and it starts to read you and things pop off the page and the connections just start to show that it is true. Everything, every story, every character, every anecdote, everything in the Bible, it all points to Jesus. All of it. I'm so honored to be here today. I can't, I can't even tell you on Mother's Day. You know, like I said, I didn't have the best mother growing up. You know, I've recently shared a story with my brother, or not a story, I just talked to him. I was talking to my brother and I said, I said, hey, who's, who does mom remind you of in the Bible? Like what character? And I'm thinking, 
Rahab, the woman at the well, the woman who is almost stoned, who was not condemned by Jesus because she's been doing wrong. My mom did a lot of wrong. You know, we grew up poor, we didn't have much, but my brother's answer floored me. It immediately sent me to a place of thanksgiving and gratefulness in a word because he said, Mary, I was focusing on her bad attributes and I'd forgotten that she was kind, she was loving, she was caring. And I said bye to her in this church. And I remember one of the last things I said was at the end of the day, she was still worthy of forgiveness and grace. And at the time, I had have my great-grandfather's Bible. And when I, when I had this, I'm standing right here, and it's, it's falling apart in my hands. And can I tell you that's a good thing? It was well used. And I told the people who were there to come say goodbye to my mother uh, that, you know, I was confused. I was grieving. There had been time that had gone by I hadn't seen her re-entered into her life, and then she's gone, you know? So did I miss getting a chance to forgive her? Did I miss getting a chance to share the love of Christ? All these things are happening. So I'm up here speaking about my mom and telling a very similar story to what you're hearing now, and I have my great-grandfather's Bible. And the beauty of this thing is he's got notes. It's like he wrote in this thing all over the place, he wrote the dates of when he started reading certain passages, and he wrote my mom's graduation date in here. Uh, it's beautiful, but I told everybody that I was, you know, I, I, I trust the word, and I trust God's voice, and I seek to listen, and I seek to obey, and I'm just a person, but God is so much greater. He can work through all these women, and when, pe- when I was saying goodbye, I said, I'm just going to open, and we'll see what happens, and I opened it, and... From the grave, my great-grandfather speaks to me because he's got it circled. And this is the verse he shared with me. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, all power is given to me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. The Great Commission. Mothers have arguably the greatest influence on any of us. All of us have a mothering story. Through faith, through hope, through love, you are building up your tiniest disciples and others. You love me. There's probably two women who have taken the time to cook me ribs at a specific request, and you're one of them. And always make sure that I have lukewarm water next to the bed when we come to stay. That's championship mothering. But guys, I'd like you to bow your heads, and I'll close this out with a prayer. Father in heaven, thank you so very much for this time, for this opportunity, for us to focus on you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for everybody who has come. Lord, I pray that they were blessed with the stories that were told about your championship mothers. 
about Mary who loved you in light of everything that would have happened, about how you exhibited the characteristic of compassion on this life that you learned from your mama. We know it wasn't your time, Lord, but you did it anyway because that's what Mary did. Lord, I can imagine Mary washing your feet in love. And right before you went to the sit with the Father, you washed your disciples' feet. I can picture where you learned that. Lord, thank you for the story of Hannah and how through her prayer and through her supplication and her heart's cry, you heard her, you hear us, and you always answer. And you brought forth Samuel, the mighty man of God who anointed King David. And Naomi's faith and trust in Jehovah, the one true God that was seen by a young girl who was confused and ultimately is grafted in to your very bloodline. Father, thank you for this week. We pray that the enemy does not steal the word. We pray that it has fallen deep into people's hearts. We pray that it does its work because we know it does never return void. Bless the families here, Lord. Protect them, watch over them. Bless the mothers, Father, natural mothers and mothers that just love because it is sown into their hearts. Thank you for all you give us. Thank you for your spirit and thank you for your son and forgiveness of our sins. It's in Jesus' mighty name that we pray, amen. Thank you so much for coming, guys. I love you, FCM. Call your mama. Washes up.